Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Faraz Ahmad, who covers the financial sector as part of BMO's corporate debt strategy team. This week's episode is titled, The Weakest Link. I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. For us, welcome to the show. I thought that you would be particularly topical given what is going on in the market. So great to have you. Thanks, Ben. Great to be here. Really appreciate the invite. Let's jump right into it. Very wild week in the markets. Uh, I think I think every market. I, I don't, I'm not even sure if it matters what market you'd be in. You'd, you'd know that it's been a uh, thrill a minute, maybe literally. And zooming out to kind of 50,000 feet here, it started last week kind of before you got any kind of financial worries. And, and it started with Powell coming out and sounding very hawkish and prompting markets to add to their bets that the Fed's going to be more aggressive. And those were ramped up pretty notably. And, and in the rates market, you could really see that. And then come the end of the week, we start to get maybe the the result of all of the Fed's tightening and, and we see where where things can go wrong. And so moving past Powell, how has this evolved? Where did this start? And we'll get to where it's going uh, afterwards. It kind of started on the West Coast where one of the one of the top 20 banks there focused on Silicon Valley. They came out in the market, said they were doing an AFS debt security sale. Along with that, they also said they were going to issue common equity in the public markets, as well as a common equity private placement, as well as a preferred shared issuance. And so I think that announcement altogether kind of freaked out the market a little bit. Uh, the market took that as a sign of stress for that specific bank. And so, you know, we saw a good amount of weakness on that bank. And then what happened was clients started pulling their cash overnight, and that led to, you know, a good old-fashioned run on the bank. And once that started to happen, um, it caused, you know, concern across the financial sector, across a lot of the U.S. regional banks. Um, a number of things that are, I think, an issue with the U.S. regional banks that kind of precipitated this. They don't have a lot of the regulations that the large money center banks have in the U.S., the GSIBs. And so a lot of the stuff that they did didn't catch the attention of the regulators uh, and ultimately, you know, led to issues on the liquidity side of things as well as, you know, a number of other things as well. And so I, I think broadly speaking, it started off as an idiosyncratic issue, but it turned into more of a broad regional bank issue. And now we're starting to see it kind of spread out to the rest of the financial system as well. So let me, let's see if I can get this straight here. As soon as it kind of proliferated beyond just, just one bank, the Fed, the Fed stepped in, they put in a facility for other banks to make sure it, 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 the same type of event doesn't happen. But what seemed to impact um, the, the regionals and, and where they seem to be particularly vulnerable is due to the fact that they, they have large asset holdings and, and a lot of that is in, is in treasuries and, and other fixed income products. And the fact that rates have backed up hundreds of basis points in the past year or two has put a lot of those securities well underwater. And then when they need cash, when they need liquidity, they have to sell those. 
then they take a loss and, and that hits their, their, their capital. And, and then that, that's where the problems crop up. And, and I think the Fed has effectively short-circuited that negative feedback loop by enabling them to borrow post their, post their treasuries as collateral, get, get money back at par, and everything's okay at least for a year or two until we'll see where we are. Is that the way things have kind of, at least until Monday, unfolded? Yeah, essentially. I mean, uh, yeah, the, the Fed effectively, you know, backstopped most uninsured deposits, you know, once they saw that, you know, a lot of the other regional banks were starting to have these issues as well. Because, you know, from a from a depositor standpoint, if you have your money at a regional bank or you can move into a large money center bank, then you would rather do that just because of stability. It's a GSIB, you know, largely too big to fail to a certain degree. So I think, you know, that is what was going on. People were essentially weighing the risks and uh, rightfully so, in my opinion. But yeah, so I think, you know, that facility certainly helped quell a lot of fears. Uh, market reacted negatively on Monday uh, once they kind of digested that information just because of the broader risk to the system, I think. And then on Tuesday, we saw the rally as people kind of saw that the Fed was supporting the market. But what I think is interesting and, and important to know is with that Fed facility, it doesn't include all securities and it includes uh, essentially treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, um, anything that qualifies for the Fed window. And so for a, a regional bank that has a heavy concentration of their assets in commercial loans, non-real estate loans, you know, they would have a hard time getting liquidity on their assets. So if they did see a large bank run, they wouldn't have the, the sufficient liquidity even with the Fed facility to meet those requirements. So I think that's still a risk in the regional banking system. I think that's why you're starting to see a number of banks deviate away from the broader sector performance-wise. And I think that'll continue. That's an, an angle that I, I hadn't heard yet, but it makes a lot of sense. I mean, that would be a liquidity issue that they couldn't really solve. The Fed can't really uh, easily step in there. Uh, so I guess we'll oh, hopefully that, that doesn't unfold. From a liquidity perspective, I, I kind of half assume the Fed had solved things, but not not entirely, it seems. And hopefully we don't get any anything else from, from any of the major banks, because I think at that point it would be more of a credit issue than a liquidity issue, and then we'd be probably in real trouble. Yeah. The, the major banks have, have you know, the, the money centers have seen big inflows coming out of this. So I think for the most part, they're relatively well supported in the, in the near term uh, from a liquidity perspective. Longer term, let's see how it plays out. Because usually, when when deposits come in that quickly, it's a it's going to weigh on your margins a little bit. So um, that'll probably be something in the near term to watch. I've I've had some fielded some questions asking, well, what about regional banks and 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 just they'll they'll probably pull back on lending on the back of, of some deposit outflows. And, and my response was, well, I, I'm assuming the big banks are going to step right in there more than more than happily. Uh, and take some some market share, uh, reasonable or or is it maybe there's a time mismatch there and and that means that there may be a bit of a, a larger macro drag than expected. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think I think the the big banks are going to take advantage of this opportunity. I mean, why not, right? Like it's a lot of them have been wanting to buy these smaller regionals for a while. Like consolidation has been a theme in the U.S. banking sector for years now, and it's kind of it's been pretty slow for it to happen. And now you see it with you know some of the Canadian banks that are buying some of the U.S. banks as well, and the re U.S. regional banks as well. Um, we'll see what happens there, but I think over the next couple of years we're going to see consolidation. We're going to see uh, the number of deposits kind of be concentrated with the money center banks. And just, you know, I think an interesting to note is if you compare the U.S. to the rest of the world, the major economies, the concentration of deposits within the top six banks in the U.S. is at the lowest versus, you know, the major economies. They're as low as Japan. 
whereas most most economies in Europe, as well as Asia, as well as Canada, certainly the deposit concentration is in you know just a handful of banks. Interesting. Okay, didn't didn't know that. Things have changed, I guess, since since Monday. We've had a, a stress on a. a Big name in Europe. I'm, I don't want to say that they're a major European bank anymore because I just I'm skeptical of that, given the, uh, the the evolution of the sector over the past few years, and, and that in particular. But is is that indicative of where we're heading? Are we going to see more global stress? Are they just a weak link, and so the market's leaning on them, or is there maybe more uh, trouble to come for large financial institutions? Uh, is, 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 will this end up being a credit event, I guess, at the end of the day is the question. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think most investors are worrying about that right now. I think with the situation you're referring to, it, it's ultimately become a confidence issue. And uh, investors are looking at the banks globally, and they're seeing who's the, the weakest link, effectively. And where is the issue going to you know, turn to next? And with that specific bank, you know, they've had a number of issues over the years. I think we all know what they are. And uh there's one thing after another. There's always, you know, a ton of stuff in the headlines specifically. This specific issue, though, I mean, it really came out of a non-event to a large degree, in my opinion. It just kind of spiraled out of control, uh, like I said before, just due to confidence. And so I think if things go okay and end okay for this particular bank, I don't think we'll see a broader issue. If it goes the other way, then, you know, there's a risk to the broader system to a certain degree. I don't think it's going to be global financial crisis part two to be fair, but at this point, it's a little bit unclear just because there's a number of things that would need to happen and and just questions about whether the regulator would step in or not as well. Well, we've, we've heard that uh, the, the government's already kind of under pressure to, to step in a bit, and there's mm-hmm. been some talks around that, so we'll, we'll see how that evolves. But uh, encouraging that this probably is not a larger event. I don't think either of us, either one of us is going to rule that out because uh, you just never know where the uh, next cockroach is hiding. But uh, it, it, it doesn't look that way. And just from like a broader macro perspective, you just look at the, the data over the past month or plus even, there's really no sign of real stress. I mean, retail sales for the US were amazing today. And I, I don't really see the market entirely dismissed it because I think fear is really driving things right now. But uh, the, the persistent strength of retail sales, Q1 GDP might be north of 3%, which is, I mean, amazing. And, and you'll have lots of people yelling about Recession and yada, 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 given what's going on in the financial sector, I get that. Uh, but I'm not convinced that most people really pay attention to the bond market that closely, that that shop at uh, pretty, any store, really. Um, that people, Regular people just don't care. Uh, and, and, and when Fed odds change by 50 basis points in a day, the, you ask anybody in Walmart the, what they think about that, and they'll say they have no idea what you're talking about. Get out of my face. And so unless this really hits stocks hard and you see a broader – decline in wealth uh, and that really getting into the headlines and 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 more bank fears and all that kind of stuff then then things change a little bit but for now going into this at least momentum was really good and and in Canada as well the Canadian data have been rock solid for January uh, we, we might get a monster January GDP print uh, and statscan had a, a plus 0.3 and I, I I can I can model out a plus 0.6 so it probably mean that won't, won't be that strong but uh, again, good good start to the year for both Canada and the U.S. And and when you're dealing with that kind of strong macro backdrop, at least at least we're we're, we're starting from a position of strength uh, as we go into this 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 period of financial stress, where we won't really see the impact on the data for at least a, I mean six weeks minimum. I guess we'll see we'll get March jobs in in 
about two to three weeks. Uh, I guess that's that's the first print. But other than that, it, uh, it's, it's going to be hard to uh, see much impact immediately, I think. Let's look at Canada because this is a Canadian podcast and that's what we do for a living. What are the ramifications for the Canadian financial sector? What what are the risks here? Have we seen any real liquidity problems here? Why don't I start with that and then, and then I'll, I'll ask the rest of my thousand questions. <clears throat> So we haven't really seen any real risks in the Canadian financial system. OSFI uh, is monitoring the situation. The Canadian banks have to submit liquidity reports on a daily basis now to OSFI. And so I think they're, you know, they're looking at it very, very closely, rightfully so. Outside of that, you know, at the start of this whole situation, um, there was a risk that if the uninsured depositors weren't made whole in the U.S. at those specific banks, that it could flow through to loan losses, particularly at some of the banks that are heavy on the tech lending side. But I think now with that risk kind of gone, I think that's less likely. Uh, so that's certainly one thing. The other thing I think that's important to note in Canada versus the U.S. is, you know, just going to your earlier point on the securities portfolios. So the Canadian banks, for their debt portfolios, whether they're AFS, held to maturity, um, what was interesting was in the U.S., those banks, they don't hedge those portfolios. So their debt, debt securities fixed rate to a large degree and uh, they're unhedged. Why? Sorry. But for, and, and let me just step in for a second. Um, AFS stands for available for sale, for those out there who don't know. Um, why wouldn't they hedge them? This, that, that's part of what crushed that, that the U.S. regional. Um, and, and I just don't understand why you wouldn't hedge your duration risk. It makes no sense to me. That's a really good question. <laughs> I wish you don't I need the answer. There is no answer. That's fine. They, um, that's scratching. They, they use, some of the banks used to have swaps in place. As of late, I mean, a lot of them have not, I think, as just to boost their returns a little bit. Um, that's the only thing I can think of that makes sense. But, you know, when you look at the Canadian banks, the conservative entities that they are, you know, they've hedged a good portion of their portfolios. And so, you know, they're not as exposed to that, uh, that fair value markdown risk on the, on, the, on the portfolios that they do hold. Um, so I think that's certainly something that differentiates them. Plus, if you look at the Canadian banking landscape, we have six big banks, a couple of regional banks. So if you think about it from a deposit perspective, the large banks that have relatively well-diversified deposit bases. And so, you know, a transfer from one bank to another, I think, wouldn't have a large impact. At the regional banks, though, you know, you could see a little bit of movement, in my opinion, perhaps not in the regulated banking side of things, in the startup side of things, maybe in the new neobanks that we've seen. Plus, the other thing to note, I think, in the Canadian landscape is that the big six plus the regionals are all regulated by OSFI and they have liquidity requirements, so the LCR, NSFR requirements. And this is a key distinction versus the U.S. regionals, which don't have those requirements. And so I think it just makes the Canadian banks a bit more stable from a liquidity perspective. And so even if they did have a little bit of a run on deposits, which I don't think they will, they would be relatively well suited to meet those liquidity needs. Good. That's good to hear. Uh, I, I On that, I mean, there's been a lot of talk in the media and, and I've been on about it for a long time and everyone else seems to be catching on finally about uh, fixed payment variable mortgages and, and bank exposure to uh, the extended amortization for pretty much all of those loans, I'm pretty sure. They all have to be at infinity and more or less uh, because that's how the math works when you're not paying any more principal. 
is uh, where where do you see the risk there? Like I, I'm concerned about maybe 2025 and people who bought their homes in 2020 and took out a variable rate mortgage and rates were effectively zero. So that would fine. But now they're paying no principal and their interest only. And if anything, their their principal might actually be going higher. They're not at risk of a payment shock near term because they likely would have paid down enough principal in the meantime to not not get that payment shock. But when they have to refinance, they might be in in store for for a surprise. Does that worry you from a bank credit perspective? And does that worry you from maybe more macro perspective, even though I know that's not your wheelhouse, but I'm going to ask anyways. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I think, you know, I just, I think we take a step back, like when people were thinking about what, what would be the impact of higher rates, most people thought the consumer would break first, right? And so I think when you look at the consumer in Canada specifically, uh, the biggest issue is the mortgage issue. And so you have essentially a fifth of the market refinance or renewing every year um, at higher rates. And so I think the big issue is, or the big risk is, um, the longer this higher rate environment extends, the bigger issue it becomes for the banks, for the system in whole, you know, system in general, and so we're we've seen you know essentially one year of of, of high rates, um, likely see another year of relatively high rates. DVD, not, not if we DVD. keep going like today, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, but I think you know the banks are being very accommodated right now, um, and so I think that's their policy, and, and rightfully so, to protect consumers to protect their own balance sheets, because if they aren't, they would, you know, force people into foreclosures, bankruptcies, and that's not, that's not something that they would want. And in particular, because if, if the person is making their payments, but now they have to refinance at a rate that's, you know, two to three times higher, then, uh, you know, it's, that would be tough for anybody. And so I think they're thinking long-term as they should be. And so I think over the next year or two, We'll likely see the banks kind of hit the limit of what they're allowed to do uh, from a regulatory standpoint, whether it be, you know, adding payments to principal where people can't meet principal payments on an ongoing basis, taking uh, interest only payments on a longer term basis while, while they can. Um, and so I think I think they're going to get start to get flexible. They already have from what I've heard uh, as well. So I think that'll continue. I've I've heard the exact same thing. I mean, every, everyone's doing their best to to make sure consumers can can cope with where we are. But uh, it is it's kind of like a looming dark cloud in the background, or or I don't know how dark it needs to be. If if you really, I mean, really think about it, twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty five, you got five years of income growth in there as well, which has been really strong uh, over the past year and and probably continues through most of this year. If things don't go really pear shaped near term. Uh, and so the, that that compounded income growth does make a difference, and, and so that'll that'll provide some cushion, I think, for a lot of people. And payments, some some people have opted already to increase their payments, which is which is I think notable. And so it, it's kind of like a medium term headwind for Canada, and I can see us maybe underperforming a little bit relative to the U.S. from a broader macro perspective because of this. But it doesn't have to be a huge negative per se, and and really, it's only if rates can stay up here. And I think. The past week has shown us that that will be really hard to do over a long period of time. That being said, I, I am I am quite concerned that uh, there there is kind of a, a, a scenario where the Fed backs off a bit here, the bank backs off a bit here, and whether that's rate cuts or just not not moving on rates for the Fed, and inflation stays sticky. Yesterday's U.S. CPI report that all all the core metrics were higher on a three month annualized basis. All of them, pick anyone you want, they're all up. Uh, that that's not good. <laughs> that that's not the momentum they want to see, and so it, it 
doesn't look as though inflation's been broken yet. Maybe if this morphs into something worse, this financial crisis morphs into something worse, that drags down inflation. Oil's down, was down at some point today, 7%. So that'll that'll help. Uh, I'm not sure how much it helps core, but it, it's got to be at least a little bit of a drag on that front. So I'm, I'm worried if they back off and inflation stays high, there's, there's a, there'll be a lot more work to be done. And, and that might mean higher rates at the end of the day. Uh, and 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 more inflation, longer inflation for all of us. But uh, that that's that's probably a conversation for another day. So I think at this point we'll we'll leave it there. Uh, I mean, given we're not allowed to get say specific names here, we're gonna we're gonna quasi skip the uh, trade idea part. But uh, my at, and given market volatility, uh, hard to really pick out an amazing trade idea at this point. But I I, I think it's worth highlighting at least. Uh, Canada U.S. spreads at this point. Like if you look at uh, ten-year and thirty-year spreads, we've we've had huge volatility, but we're not all that far from the extremes. And and if Canada uh, has another bout of outperformance, we're getting smashed today. But if we do have another bout of outperformance, that is definitely worth fading. Uh, in tens, uh, somewhere in the eighties, maybe you get to, to to ninety through the U.S. You definitely want to do that. And in in longs, uh, ninety plus, ninety to one hundred, I think you want to be uh, fading, fading those moves. So something something at least to keep in mind. Uh, lots of volatility that that may provide those opportunities to uh, to, to fade those moves. Uh, and other than that, uh, good luck, everybody out there. It, it uh, has been an interesting week, and I'm sure we're, we're not done yet. And Frez, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.